I live in Israel. This season is dedicated to the memory of the 1,400 of my countrymen who were massacred on October 7th, and the 240 people that were kidnapped and are being held hostage by the terrorist organization Hamas. Hopefully they will be returned to their families as soon as possible, and hopefully this terrible war will be able to come to a peaceful end very soon. Welcome to Minute 9 of Season 6 of Movie Road Minute, the daily podcast where we take a Capra-esque journey through the 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life, One Minute at a Time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Jim O'Kane. What can I say about Jim? Wow. I don't know. There's there's just so much to say that I just won't say anything. Welcome back, Jim. Oh, that's <laughs> <laughs> I'm very grateful. Yes, yes. Maintain the silence. Though. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not trying to maintain just, silence. No, no, but, no I, yeah, no, I appreciate. I appreciate. And plus, if you can't maintain silence, if people listen to your podcast, but thanks again for having me on. This has been a wonderful week. You know, for it's a wonderful life. Uh, yes, yes. Because you know, it's just you, you never just don't know what to say about Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, it's ruefully shaking people's heads. Just oh boy, but uh, it could but be. It, it, it could be. It's been it's been a great time here. Um, I really enjoyed this. This movie is so built for the movies by minutes uh, format. There's so many things to stare at. You really need to do slow down and and just go through all the stuff. There's so many shots in this particular minute that we're looking at. I mean, a lot of editing, a lot of tight shots and zooms and opticals. And so uh, this minute nine should be a really a really good uh, plow through of uh, of how Capra gets the job done. Yeah, completely. I mean, we talked yesterday about the fact of how uh, Capra is a great visual storyteller, and and this minute is another perfect example of that of how he does that. You know, he, you know, what what what's the the, the famous quote from True Romance? You know, you have you have a scene where character basically says, "What we what we have here is we're playing a game of uh, show and tell. You're you're telling me nothing, but you're showing me everything." Uh-huh. You know? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, there's just so many, so many things in here where it's wordless, but uh, we're getting the idea of, it, it, it is almost a silent movie here where we're seeing, we're seeing clues to what's going on, and uh, a little, <laughs> a little bit on the nose with explaining some of the some of the details in here, but uh, yeah, it, sure. it's very effective. Yes, and uh, and you can enjoy it that way. So. Mm-hmm. And so minute nine begins with Gower giving George an assignment and ends with George ascending the steps of the building alone. So yesterday oh, we floor. that's right, which we we will get to about that yes. also. There 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 is a slight problem with that, but we'll we'll talk about that more tomorrow than today. But you know we'll, right. we'll keep people in suspense about that one, and. <laughs> <laughs> so yesterday we ended things with uh, Gower, you know, in his uh, drunken stupor, because you know we 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 know that he's upset about his uh, son, you know, dying from the uh, from COVID, uh, from the the, the, yeah. the COVID one point uh, I don't know. Yes, twentieth century COVID. Yes, twentieth century, early twentieth century COVID. Yeah, and so he puts these these. these pills or tries to put pills in, in a pillbox and he drops a whole bunch on the on the ground. George says he'll pick them up, uh, which which he doesn't. 
and, and then uh, Cower basically shoots him out and says, "Get out of here!" Because Mrs. Blaine needs to, uh, uh, you know, get those ghost, those capsules. She's waiting for them. And he says, "Yes, sir." And then, you know, he he agrees to go. George George is very amicable to everything that Gower requests of him. You know, we, you know, Gower treats him like crap, and George just says, "Okay, great, no problem. Yes, of course, I'll I'll do what you want. No problem." You know, appar- apparently he needs the money to be able to buy all those shoelaces. Wow. Yes. <laughs> or 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 something else. I don't know. Maybe, no, maybe it's just, maybe he needs the money to be able to pay for his uh, National Geographic subscri- subscription. Subscription. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, he's when he's going to get his harem, you have to think about how many uh, how many two cent packs of uh, of licorice he's going to need to to develop that harem. Well, again, as we talked about yesterday, a harem just means women in the household. So he, he sort of has one at home with with Annie and his mother. You know, yeah. you, can, you can already state from that perspective. You know, and and the the whole idea here also is is that, you know, he he he's he's a very smart kid. He's able. You can already see at this age, at the age of twelve, that he's able to figure things out. You know, that maybe it's because he's reading National Geographic all the time. I don't know. You know, and and I would think also that you know, we, I mentioned earlier that he needs the money in order maybe to buy. Uh, National Ge- his subscription. To me, Peter Bailey does sound like the type of father that would want to instill in his son, you know the, you know how important money is, and and uh, you know what you can get with your money. That he would make him pay for his own subscription to National Geographic if that's what he wants. You know he would show him the 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 proper uh, economical way, you know to to save your money for things that are important and and uh, you know. So that you can get, uh, you know, magazines in in brown paper bags. <laughs> <laughs> Maps of where to find the coconuts. Um, it's, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's it's interesting. But he's you know of course you know he could have he could have had a job as a pharmacist I guess but you know being being in Gower's place he already knows how to make uh, ice ice cream floats and things like that and uh, he obviously knows inventory too. But uh, that was not that was not where he was going. He was going to be an adventurer. So that's all right. this uh, on the job training went nowhere. <laughs> and and then you know we see Gower like stagger away and go behind uh, some shelves. And first of all, this is great cinematography because you know they don't move the camera, but he yeah. moves to he moves behind uh, a shelf filled with all these different types of medicines. And tonics and potions and potions. Yeah, that's right. I mean, again, it, it, I, I think there is a connection between the Harry Potter world and, you know, and and the It's a Wonderful Life world. I mean, we, we talked earlier in the week about the, the Back to the Future connection, but, you know, Harry Potter fits in here also. Forget about the fact that, that Henry Potter's real name is Harry Potter. You know, that, that's a separate issue. But I'm saying just the fact that, that it looks like they're just dealing with all of these... Uh, you know, potions. I mean, you can even read some of them. There's one that says uh, uh, Pekinch Rub or Peach. Is that Peach Rub? Yeah. PV Cinch Rub. I don't Something like that. I, yeah. I don't, I wasn't able to find out what that is. But it's, it's probably some kind of coconut extract or something. Uh, <laughs> or, or a peach I'm not, uh, extract or yeah. something like that. You know, but we see yeah, Gower. Rub. That's right. We see Gower go behind 
you know, a row of, of shelves filled with all these different potions and bottles and stuff like that. And the camera doesn't move. And he goes and yeah. to, to the row behind and sits down in a chair and lovingly looks at a picture, which we all assume is his son, Robert. I mean, I, I wasn't able to find out who that is a real picture of, you know, yeah, if that's, um, you know, if that's uh, H.B. Warner's son or uh, some other yeah. actor, it's maybe yeah, Frank, Frank Capra's kid. I don't know. Yeah, it's um, I, and I was trying to figure out how old is Gower and how I mean his son looks a little old for college, but maybe he was teaching there instead of being a student. I don't know. That's right. We 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 don't really know what happened. It didn't say he he died while he was studying. It just said he died while he's here. So maybe he was a teacher. Yeah, it's uh, he just doesn't seem uh, I guess I, I I there's no picture of Mrs. Gower. I I don't see anything though. Maybe it was. He was, you know, a single dad. This was his only family. Ooh, he'd fit and, into your website. Just, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, it wasn't on TV, but uh, but yeah, he. Uh, well, hey, I come mean, on, this was on TV more than a lot of TV yeah, shows. Yeah, <laughs> it only had one episode though. It needs more than one episode. Ah, okay. Um, uh, that's one but, of the, uh, the criteria. Yeah, it has to be. A, yeah, actually, you can't have a special. Is one of my rules. Oh, okay. Single dad. They have to be a a series. Um, the uh, actually there was one. <laughs> There was a single dad show on ABC called Wonderland, and uh, it they filmed 13 episodes, but they only aired one of them, and the ratings were so bad on ABC they can't. It was a two-part uh, pilot uh, episode that they were showing, and the ratings were so bad they never showed part two of the opening episode. So. Uh, it but you know and so I I had held it off my website for a while but then it they had syndicated it in Sweden so somewhere in the world it played and I I put it back on uh, my website but uh, yeah trying to get that second episode out is always important yeah when 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 did that come out when was it was that like an eighty uh, show 19, that was, uh... 1999, I believe uh, or no 1990 excuse me 1990 or no it has to be later than that 1999 um, with with Shirley Henderson. No, it was. Uh, no, that's a movie that came out. No, it's a. Uh, it's called. It's called Wonderland. It was originally going to be named Bellevue, but Bellevue Hospital in. It was about a mental hospital, but uh, Bellevue Hospital said they would sue ABC if they used the word uh, uh, Bellevue in the title. So they changed the name of the show to Wonderland. It was a group of doctors. Um, it. Oh, well, here it is. Um, and if I can get into it, no, that's Gideon's Crossing. Wait. Uh, what? What year is it? It was, uh, hang on, Wonderland uh, premiered 2000, the year 2000. It was filmed in 1999. Um, filmed in the year uh, 2000, and it was... Oh, with Ted Levine. Oh, wow. Yeah, the directly opposite ER, which was like, wow. You're going to premiere a medical drama up opposite ER. So it just, uh, yeah, it fell apart really fast. I, I was... Fortunate enough to visit the set of Wonderland. It was oh, filmed it was, in uh, Peterburg. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It was it was filmed in uh, Silver Cup Studios in Queens, and uh, I interviewed the single dad on the show who was played by Michael J. White. So, um, yeah, it's just amazing all star cast. My my son went with me to uh, the press junket that I was on in this thing, and Michael J. White. Uh, took a liking to my son because my son was asking me, what does this do? What does that do? My, my son is always falling in love. He was in, he was in high school at the time. And, 
he was always falling in love with PAs every time I would take him in later ones. They were, they were always very pretty PAs. So he goes, can I go on another? Um, but uh, Michael Jai, <laughs> Jai White showed him a card trick that he was going to do in a movie. And he said, hey, do you like this? And so uh, my son was a very appreciative audience. It was a great, great time being on the set. Uh, a lot of fun watching them film the 13th and unfortunately unaired in the U.S. Uh, episode of Wonderland. Uh, we, we watched the uh, season finale being shot. And, the series uh, finale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a shame. A great cast, and from what I saw from the acting, it was fantastic. They really did a great job, but uh, unfortunately, uh, too many too many issues with the topic, and uh, just not enough people to watch it to overcome the topic. So mm. um, I, I was actually anyway. at, at the, the that studio one. It was a studio, it's like a studio in Queens, isn't it? Right, yeah, it's the, the old Silver Cup Bread Company. If you remember, I, when I was a kid, they used to sell Silver Cup bread, great bread. Um, I had many tuna fish sandwiches made on silver cup bread, but then it turned into a movie studio, and it's really – I think it's the closest production facility outside of Manhattan uh, to the, to New York City. I mean you know, it's right there in Queens, and uh, it's right over the bridge. Yeah, so, I actually uh, went to a taping of a TV show there once uh, oh, in, cool. in, in the beginning of January 2001. There was a, ah. a new TV show that was starting out with uh, Jim Gaffigan. Oh, wow. Uh, called uh, I think it was called Welcome to New York, and, huh. and I happened to be in New York at the time, and uh, you know it, 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 it's actually somewhat ironic. Uh, on that same day, I was you know I was meeting up with some friends, and we were like, okay, well maybe we should go you know to the to the World Trade Center today, and we're like, nah, we'll have plenty of time to go there. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll go we'll go see this this uh, you know we'll we'll go watch this this uh, new show. You know we'll go to a live taping of it. Uh, so it, it was actually quite interesting, uh, you know, and we, we got to talk to some of the cast afterwards also and stuff like that. And I remember I, this, this I remember one of the uh, actors in one of the background actors was a guy and he was he was wearing a uh, yarmulke, you know, ah. and, you know, and he just kept moving back and forth and stuff like that. And, and afterwards, we went over to him. And we we're like, oh, wow. You know, what character are you playing? He goes, what do you think? I'm like, I don't know. He goes, I'm the producer. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Silver Cup is a great – it's a great place. A nice – a really compact studio. Um, I've been to ones in Hollywood, but the, the – yeah, the New York one is is really amazing because they, they have to fit a lot of they're, – they're filming simultaneous shows there. So a lot of the, the walls are wild. They can just, like, break down a set, film a bunch of stuff, put a, put a different show in in a matter of a day. Um, Friends, I believe, was, was shot uh, – uh, some of the seasons when they were doing New York scenes, when they were, they would set up temporary stuff at Silver Cup, most of it was shot in in California. But uh, if they needed to do um, location stuff in New York, they'd set up temporary sets there for friends. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a great great little place right off the uh, right off the 59th Street Bridge there on the on the on the right hand side if you're heading to Queens. Um, but anyway, I could. <laughs> I'm not sure how we wound up here, but uh, it's uh, definitely medical and uh, single dad. But uh, getting back to to Mr. Gower, who's uh, staggering around there in the background, just a great labyrinth. It just gives you an idea. It's his his whole office area there is kind of muddled, just like his mind is kind of muddled. Yeah. And uh, we're we're actually now. I'm the way I'm looking at this. This is from Mary's point of view. You think so? I think. No, well, I don't. I don't think fro- so. No, she'd have the fro- she'd have the frosted glass in front of her. So That's right. See that? So no, no, it's not Mary. Kinda, it's it's yeah. the it's the omniscient present here that, that that's giving yes. us the 
you know, and, and as he's sitting down, you see that there's there's like a typewriter right next to him also, you know, one of those uh, yes. old typewriters and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, I, I, yeah. I know you know about old stuff. So how far back do you think typewriters go? Uh, I I would not know where the first typewriter was. I would think it would be back maybe in the 1700s. 1874. Uh, oh, wow, that late. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, I know that the uh, that particular typewriter that is using it, the Underwood number five is almost like the number two pencil of typewriters. It was uh, that number five. They made millions and millions of them, and they were used everywhere. Secretaries, desks, people had them at home. Students had them. Teachers had them. Um, and pharmacists, pharmacists had them. Doctors had them. They were they were almost a universal. Uh, it, it was something that everybody knew. So. Um, uh, and that number five, it's funny, even as they, they updated the Underwood, they made it better. The keys were had better motions, uh, different uh, key services. They kept using the number five on later models uh, just because people were so familiar with, I need an Underwood number five because I know how it works. Um, but uh, the, the those uh, original ones there, they were like the first three decades of the 1900s, that particular model that he has there. Uh, right. This was this was peak Underwood number five season. So he had it. Probably Bailey Savings and Loan had it. Uh, Mr. Potter probably had a whole fleet of them at his offices. And uh, it was just it, it it was the PC of its day. It was a thing that you sent out not emails, but all your correspondence went went through the roller of a, an Underwood number five. Right, right. And so I mean the the typewriters that 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 we know of nowadays. That's what started in 1874. Before that, you had all these different other uh types of typewriters or you know there, there were precursors to the typewriters that uh you know that 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 weren't as efficient or effective as uh the ones that we have here i mean remington only started uh, the, their production on uh on typewriters in the 1870s uh it was in new york in uh ilian ilian new york and that was actually when they oh, first... Oh, yeah, near, near outside of Schenectady, yeah. Okay, and, and that was when they first started the, the whole idea of a QWERTY keyboard layout. You know, so... And we and still have yeah, the yeah, same was, layout, you know, 150 years later. So it's... Uh, and if I remember correctly, it was... QWERTY was built specifically to slow down uh, typists because the letters would be in unusual spots so that they wouldn't jam the keys as they were typing. Um, right, but, for, but from my that, perspective, that I just think that's crazy that they would do it that way. You'd think that they would want to make it a more efficient. I mean, obviously, you have the whole problem if you press too many buttons. And I had this as a kid when I would use a typewriter, you know, that uh, they would get stuck together because you, you pressed yeah, on too many they, of them at the same time. You know, I, I have, things. that's right. I have that problem when I type now. You know, my mind moves uh, slower than, than my hands sometimes, you know, and so I, I will type letters uh, sometimes words will come out backwards because of that yes <laughs> but at least on the computer i don't have to worry about uh you know the the the, the strike keys getting uh tangled together where you need to have yes. to try and do something to try and fix that it, it won't break the ribbon so um right or or the uh white out ribbon which i yes. always remember I, I always loved that they had those you know basically all you, all you do, all it is, is it puts the the whiteout directly, you know, the same letter, the, the the same exact design of the letter 
on a letter. Yes, yes. Yeah, or you'd you'd have those little pieces of paper before before the whiteout paint went in. You'd hold the little piece of paper with the white chalk on the on the front of it just to to fix one or two. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. I remember that also. Nowadays, I guess you spend most of your time uncorrecting the autocorrection. <laughs> That's not the word I meant. It was taxes, not Texas. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a different world. Yeah. Um, Did you know, actually know the name of the person who created QWERTY and where? I do not know that one. A man called Christopher uh, Latham Scholes, who was a newspaper editor and printer in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Ah, have to hunt him down um well i, I don't know if you're and, gonna have to find i, I don't think he's yeah. gonna be talking no no i think he's 1870 I, I just was wondering what his uh headstone looked like if it's <laughs> your life <laughs> um just very very interesting I, I didn't even think about that fact you know that the, his his headstone says qwerty on it you know it's like, now i have i i am uh i am currently looking at find a grave to see if i can find him but he's in kenosha wisconsin okay yeah um I will. I will. I will keep talking. I'll keep. I'll keep looking. But let me see what. <laughs> let me see if we can find out where he is buried. Um, uh, he died in 1890. Tuberculosis, and he's buried in Forest Home Cemetery in Milwaukee. Ah, and ah, here he is. Uh, 1890. Yes, there he is. And his. Uh, oh, he has a brass plaque, and on the plaque it says Christopher Latham Scholes, 1818 to 1890, the father of the typewriter. Dedicated by the young men and women of America in grateful memory of one who material materially aided in the world's progress. Ooh, interesting. I guess he, because I guess you could say he did really. I mean, when you think about how many people know how to type on a QWERTY keyboard, he really did have an effect on the future. Yes. So uh, and, and the and fact nice that it's still being used, you know, it, yes, that, that's the standard. You know, so it, uh, it it goes according to what you said about the the reason that that they set it up this way is that um, he wanted to uh, keep common combinations of letters farther apart. Ah, you know, in order ah. to 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 stop internal clashing. You know, as what we were talking about. You know, that if you if you press letters together, then something might get stuck. Hmm. I wonder what the, I wonder what the original like what he was working from. Usually, I mean, it's like the things when you're when you bring up your flat screen TV and it wants to ask the search feature to uh, type in the movie you're looking for. Uh, sometimes they come up in QWERTY format, but most of the time they come up in alphabetical order. Right. So uh, I was wondering if they had alphabetical order typewriters before QWERTY was developed. Well, I don't think uh, so because I mean he was this was basically developed around the same time that the typewriter was was being developed so ah oh i have a question you being in israel how, what does what's the um what is the equivalent in hebrew of a of a qwerty keyboard because well, no, we have we have a qwerty keyboard and every letter has a different uh hebrew letter on it and if you okay. and if you do alt shift it switches between languages okay and it'll switch to uh right to left as well as left to right, is there a key for no? That? Right, you need to there in uh, you have to, to switch the you have to switch to, to right alignment instead of left alignment stuff like that. Trust me, sometimes it's very difficult when you're trying. The, the most difficult thing is when you're typing something and then it switches on you. 
you know, ah. I've, I've had that where, you know, I'll be typing something in, in one language and it'll switch to another language and then it'll switch back. And then so I actually have a program on my computer that all I have to do is highlight the it doesn't matter which language. And then I press F10 and it, it automatically translates the the keyboard back, meaning, ah, cool. you know, if if because when well, I'll be typing gibberish. Yeah, so it, it yeah, switches like, it back to the to the right thing. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, trust yeah, me, yeah. it happens very often. I'm, I, I'm constantly throughout the day uh, you doing that because sometimes I won't be looking at the keyboard and I'll be typing something. And it doesn't matter, again, it doesn't matter which language I'm typing it in. And then I'll look at the screen and I'll be like, oh, crap. I just, yeah, well, so then you just yeah, highlight it. You know, usually just after you hit send and it's like, oh, and then just please ignore previous messages. I've done that. Um, I've done that too. I've sent, yeah. I've sent uh, WhatsApp messages. You know, with it's just complete gibberish, and ah. you know, so for, for people who don't understand the language, will get even. You know, for them, they don't even know what 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 the characters are. You know, they're getting really yes. strange characters. You know, I have a friend that that wow. will always say, "I don't speak Chinese." He knows it's not Chinese, but he says <laughs> that's his standard answer when he gets gibberish like that. You know, so wow, ah, wow, all because of uh, we all. It all started with Christopher Scholes. There you go. Um, and, intriguing. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, he lovingly, Gower sits there uh, transfixed by the picture of his son. But now that yeah. I think about it, I think you're right. I think his son must be a teacher. You yeah, know? he's got a little gray in the temples there. I think he's uh, a little bit older for, than a, you know, undergrad. Um, yeah, could be. And then the shot changes, and, and it's really great because they show a bottle, and it's cut off. But we can still see the words poison on it. And then we see George's head pop up. You know, as he's like looking at this bottle to try and figure out what it is, and then he turns the bottle around and sees that uh, it, it sees the word poison. Could could you make out what was written on the the bottle itself? I, it's something glyceride. Yeah, I, I, it looks like something glycerin or glyceride. EV. I don't know what the EV would stand for. Evaporated glycerin. I mean, maybe yeah, it's kind of. Something that dried. I'm sure it probably was once harmless. Or and I was thinking maybe he f was filling up glycerin capsules, but uh, he just saw the thing of glycerin and put it down and thought I got to I got to put together pills. So he put that down, not realizing it was poison. Then he thought I've got to put the uh, uh, the diphtheria antitoxin because they said that the uh, the his customers all the family had diphtheria. Right. So um, the Although I don't think I don't think diphtheria was treated orally. I may be I may be wrong, but I I think that you had to get a an injection. I may, I may be very wrong about that. I am not a doctor, but um, uh, diphtheria at the time was uh, well under control. Paul Ehrlich, uh, who had, you know the magic bullet, he had come up with all these different antitoxins, and there was a there was already a diphtheria antitoxin as well as a uh, vaccine uh, for the diphtheria bacteria. And uh, immunization was huge back around like 1905 or so. So uh, the fact that they've all come down with diphtheria sounds unusual for the time. Um, although there were in the 1920s, uh, it was estimated that 100 to 200,000 diphtheria cases uh, and up to 15,000 deaths had occurred in the U.S. during the 1920s. So it wasn't it wasn't gone. I mean, nowadays. You know, it's standard practice to give uh, little kids uh, the D DTP, the 
Listeria tetanus pertussis uh, antitoxins. So uh, you were immunized as a baby, but back then they were still making the rounds, I guess, to uh, to get people uh, immunized against it. That's right. That's right. So one of the biggest questions that I've always had about this movie is the fact that why is uh, Mr. Gower giving a kid poison? You know, like, why, why would he do that? And forget about the fact that later on in the movie, he will actually taste it and know that it's poison. That's a separate issue. So I decided to do, do a little uh, uh, field trip. Uh, ah. Yes. So I'm, I, I live in a relatively small town. Where, you know, there are about uh, 12,000 uh, people who live in my town. And we have a pharmacist. And I, I bump into him quite often. I see him a few times a week, usually, uh, you know, on the street. Not, not, not that I'm going into the pharmacy. He's not, uh, he's not your times. dealer. Yeah. No, okay. no, not at all. Not at all. So I decided, uh, I, I had a little extra time the other day and I decided I was going to go give him a little bit of a visit. And I went there and, you know, I stood in line with everyone else. And then I went up to him and I said, all right. And I let people pass me who, who needed to go, you know, when a different pharmacist opened up, uh, you know, was, was available. And then I went up to him and I said, all right, uh, I, I'm giving you, uh, you know, 30, I'm going to give you about a minute of, of free time where you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, serving customers because I'm now your customer. And I said, have you ever seen the movie? It's a wonderful life. And he looks at me really strangely and he goes, you mean the one with, uh, Jimmy Stewart? I was like, yeah, that's the one. He says, yeah, I've seen it a couple of times. I said, all right, now I have a question for you. Uh, I said, do you remember it? And like, I didn't bring my laptop with me, which I probably should have, because then I could actually have shown him the scene and he probably would have said, Oh, I know what that is. I know what that is. But, you know, I, uh, my time was, was somewhat limited anyway, and or his time. My time, I, I, I was free. <laughs> his time was something else. And You're I said, off the clock, yeah. That's <laughs> right. And I said, why would someone give poison? And he goes, well, just about everything in a pharmacy is poison. You know, that's what you use to treat uh, diseases. You know, you're not necessarily, you, you know, and, and that's the reason why you need a prescription. That's the reason why it, it's you can't just get things over the counter. You have to have somebody who is knowledgeable in all these things in order to, to be able to give them to you. And he says back nowadays, you know, you, you buy the pills, you know, you, you, you know, he will order the pills and he gets them. And he showed me that he even has a few locked drawers. Uh, he says, this is the really dangerous stuff that, you know, we, we keep it locked because we don't want people to, to accidentally try to take any of these toxins or anything like that. And he said that that it, it all is based on the amount of ingredients. Okay, my my assumption is, and based on what he told me, is is that Mr. Gower was only supposed to put a little bit of this particular uh, poison into creating the pills. I mean, back in 1919, the pharmacist was creating the pills themselves. You know, they weren't getting everything manufactured. That which is why he has all these potions and and uh, and you know, uh, yeah, all the little, uh, all the little flasks, and all exactly. Measurements, yeah. exactly. It's like, I, I, okay, this is what I need to treat. I'm now going to create a little pill using all of these things. I need this percent of that and that percent of this and all those things. So what he basically said to me is, is that, that if you look at just about any, uh, drug that people are using as medicine, there is some, some form of, uh, ingredient that is probably uh, poison or toxic, but because you're getting it in such small doses, the idea that it's supposed to be helping 
to treat whatever ailment that you, you have, uh, but it can, you, you can only do that in small doses. If you do it in larger doses, then you will be causing uh, more damage to the system. I mean, I, I know that a few years ago, I don't even remember what it was for, I, I needed some sort of medicine, and the, the doctor would give me the medicine for one month at a time, and I needed to get a blood test each time before he would give me a new prescription in order to make sure that it wasn't affecting my liver or something like that. You know, there are possible side effects of the, the poison itself that, you know, it, one of the things with, with the human body is, is, you know, when you, even when, when you put anything into the human body, whether it's poison or not, you don't know where it's going. You know, it needs yeah, to be, and, and you're, it needs to be sent kind to of, the right place. <laughs> yeah. You're, and you're firing up like your liver and your kidneys that, that their job is to cleanse you of whatever you just took. So that, you know, it's getting rid of the toxins. I, I, I lived in, uh, in Pennsylvania and had a neighbor who lost her husband because he took too many, he was, he was having some, um, he was he was I, I, it was like the flu or something, but he was taking too many Tylenols. He was taking too much acetaminophen uh, at at a time, and what had happened was it damaged his it damaged his liver and kidneys, and uh, he was gone in a week because if you just you know take too much of a simple thing like a you know a, a, a paracetamol thing, it it will kill you. And that's um, over the counter. So, <laughs> yeah, that's just that's just stuff you can get. I mean, it's it's amazing. I know I take a uh, I take a thyroid medication because I don't have I don't have a thyroid anymore, but uh, I have a pill that, that takes the place of my thyroid, and it is measured to the microgram as to how many I should take every day. Because if I don't, my whole metabolism goes crazy. I can you know have have damage to different organs, or I could you know not digest food anymore. So I. I keep it. I keep it in a little. I'm I'm at that age where I have the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday boxes, and I just take them at the right times. And uh, but it's it's amazing how just a little tiny pill can change your whole health. Yeah. Um. So that that's an intriguing. Uh. I'm glad you have a yeah. pharmacist like. Yeah. That. He said he um, said to me that if he had more time, at a certain point, he's like, all right, I, that, that's it. I need to sort of take care of other customers. And and yeah. I said, oh, is that all you have to say? And he goes, no, I have tons to say, but I don't have the time to do it. He says, yeah. He goes, I'll, know, come back later. I'll show you how to kill people. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. I mean, he's he. You know, to to become a pharmacist, you know, there's there's a lot. I mean, I remember I once went to him for something, and he took out all these old pharmacy books. To start looking at different ingredients and things like that, you know, to, you know, like a uh, pharmaceutical uh, encyclopedia or something like that that talks about all the different wow. uh, ingredients and stuff like that. Because I, I guess you also have to deal with the fact that sometimes people can be allergic or get reactions to certain, uh, yeah, you know, certain ingredients things, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. But it was, it was but, uh, fascinating talking to him about it. And I asked, this is for a later minute, minute, but, you know, I'll mention it now. I asked him, though, what would it help to, to, to taste it? And he goes, well, what does it help when you watch in a movie and, you know, the, the cops have gotten a big cocaine thing and they, they, they take it out and they, they lick it also. It's like you don't really necessarily know what you're tasting. Yeah. <laughs> you know? oh, that was bleach. Yeah. That's um, right. Exactly. The, uh, yeah. But, um, uh, what was, was I saying? My, uh, my mother had uh, – uh, she had a, a nerve infection on her back, and uh, it was causing her great pain. She had gotten she got rid of the infection, but she still had this. Um, uh, she couldn't sleep. She couldn't sleep on her back. She couldn't turn, and uh, the doctor had uh, given her a prescription 
for a, a nerve uh, anesthetic called gabapentin, and usually that's that's taken orally. But he said, I want you to get a topical, uh, a topical one, and he recommended uh, something called a a compounding pharmacist. And the compounding pharmacist acts like Mr. Gower. They don't, they you know, they give out pills and things, but they also do the thing with the mortar and pestle and actually grind things up. And this uh, this compounding, we had to go about I don't know about 30 or 40 miles out of town. This compounding pharmacist. Uh, took gabapentin pills and mixed them with a couple of chemicals, creams, and things like that, and had come up with a paste and actually put it in like a like a toothpaste tube size uh, dispenser. And uh, she would go back uh, once a month and just put just a little bit of that on her back, and it it solved her uh, uh, the pain. It was almost like shingles the way she was describing it. She was uh, she put it on at night, and it would the pain would go away. So oh, wow. um, there's still people that work like Mr. Gower. You just kind of have to look for compounding pharmacist i think is a technical term for them yeah oh wow that's actually really cool and after george notices uh, that that they have the that that there's poison here he actually did you notice that he looks at his hand and like scratches his hand a little bit scratches his finger as if okay i now yeah. just also touch poison you know am, am i uh -oh. gonna be okay <laughs> have i been infected um, yeah and and notice that as we got as we came to the conclusion that those pills are full of poison, nobody said a word. That's this right. was all just acting and editing and camera motion. But uh, we got the whole story there. It's obviously, you know, it's a remnant of the silent era, which Capra was a part of. With all these people were a part of. That's I mean, right. The, the young man wasn't, but H.B. Warner definitely. They could express things with an emotion, you know, an eyebrow or uh, just a tilt of the head. Um, but just great the way the way the camera is moving just gently and uh, you know, a little pushing in, and then we then we go to that back office where we're looking at uh, Mr. Gower. Yeah, and we see all of the different potions, you know, on the shelves in front, you know, in front of him. And the the way that the the shelves are built, you know, you can see that there's one. They're, they're like different frames, and the yep. the bottom left hand phrase frame is Gower just staring at the picture of his son, you know, with the typewriter in the background. And it, it's broken yeah. up really well, the way that they show it. And then, yeah, it's almost that. Uh, it, it's almost like that. Uh, that golden ratio. Yeah, <laughs> it seems mm -hmm. like it, it, it's divided almost perfectly for the for that for for Gower. And he he really uh, is kind of the focus of that whole scene. That you are, your your eyes are kind of drawn to him. Correct. And then the camera moves in a little bit and zooms in. And then George says to him. Uh, George stands there, and they have the diphtheria there, haven't they, sir? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, is it a charge? Yes, George. Mr. Gower, I, oh, get going. Yes, sir. So uh, a charge is basically the idea that, that uh, you know, they don't have to pay cash. You know, right, we'll bill you later. That's right. We'll, we'll bill you later. We'll, we'll, you know, when, when you're better, <laughs> you'll, you'll pay. Yeah. <laughs> I guess yes, that's long before visa cards and things. And um, that's right. But yeah, it's just, uh, and they didn't have uh, Amazon trucks. So it was just a kid on a bike. That's uh, right. I mean, they, they have that actually in, in uh, uh, you know, we have like small little uh, groceries here, which, which do that, you know, where, where you have a monthly charge where basically this way your kids can go and, and say, okay, we're number, uh, you know, six, nine, uh, 21, you know, put it on the bill, and then at the end of the month you get the bill, and then you pay pay the whole bill. 
Wow. You know, so um, so it, by us, it still works that way. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's um. I mean, it, it it makes sense. It's kind of you know you're you're you know I mean you're you're collecting things and then you, it's it's probably easier to write one paper check as they used to back then, um, than to have to keep paying every time they were going back and forth. I mean they were they were long before the ATM age. That's um, right. But uh, you know so now we're we're up to this point where where George is uh, in a quandary. What does he do? He's carrying poison to a house full of sick people. What do I do? What do I do now? And um, and he he and and I love when he walks out of the back room. He keeps looking back, as if to say, you know, wait a second. Why are you sending me to do this? I I need you to yeah. to help me here. You know. And yeah. Did you notice in the background there's a whole bunch of of uh, uh, of I guess boxes of uh, what, what's what's known as hair tonic. Yes. Yeah. Do, do you know and what hair tonic yeah. was used for? Uh, I used to use hair tonic. I, I was a. I grew up on Jarrah's hair trainer. Um, must, growing up, I had a haircut much like young George here, and it would never. That part would never stay in place. So, um, mostly it was made out of. Uh, it was made out of cornstarch. So it was just. <laughs> it made things very sticky. Um, one time I met. I met a fellow from, I believe it was Buffalo, New York, and he was heir to the Wild Root Hair Tonic Company, and it was a small company. <laughs> he he told me that he was heir, but it, uh, he um he was in charge of and the small company that they had. It started out small and got bigger and bigger, and they wound up with a factory. But when he was a kid, he would help stir up the the hair tonic, basically all the Wild Root wild root hair tonic in the world was in these buckets that they'd had to stir and mix all the the fragrances and uh, the cornstarch and then get it into individual bottles but you know until i guess the 70s people you know this was a typical man's thing you'd have to just get out the hair tonic and slick it back well you know people used it also because they 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 believed that it would uh, stop your hair from thinning or getting split ends and things like that and help with dry scalp you know, so there, there's, you know, I can see that you have more hair than I do, and so maybe the hair tonic actually helped you. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it, 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 like every time I go to the barber, he keeps cutting off the brown parts. I just have to <laughs> get him to stop because it's, it keeps turning grayer and grayer. And now it's now it's getting toward Leslie Nielsen white. I think I'm almost to uh, Peter Graves level of uh, of white hair. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, in- interesting how many things were available in the store, and they right. they all seem to be kind of blended together. I mean, the Pepto Bismol is still right there next to the hair tonic. That's right. Um, well, come on, after you you know if you're if you're yeah. worried that your that your hair is thinning, so then you're gonna have an upset stomach. So, yeah, that, you know, yeah that's, that's probably it. it. It's or or it could be like the QWERTY board. You know, you don't want to have things next to each other to to cause a little too much commotion. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's um, and there's always the the chloroform on the second shelf that we look at the other day. <laughs> if you're just That's really right. feeling bad, just take some of that, and and it'll be tomorrow pretty soon. That's so, right. Um, and then we we wow. see a shot of George looking. Uh, he puts his hat on, and then he looks out, and yep. we see a sign hanging. And once again, you know, uh, Capra really shows this to us visually, and we see an ad that says, "Ask Dad." He knows, and the he is underlined. And this is an ad for Sweet Caporal. Uh, are you familiar with what Sweet Caporal is? 
it's uh it, it would eventually become the american tobacco company which uh the 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 uh the company below that was the ones making the camels in the Chesterfields that we saw the other day. So it's uh, it's all in that one corner. But, uh, yeah, Kinney Tobacco was uh, that's the right. company there. That's right. But it, the truth is it actually merged already in 1890 into the American Tobacco Company. So the question is, is you know, there's been 20 years since, since – or actually 30 years since it became the American well, Tobacco Company. But I guess they still yeah, were I, using, you know, the brand – was was still uh you know uh still called sweet caporal yeah i i'm not sure how how long that lasted by itself but uh, the sweet sweet caporal was uh famous for they kind of came up long before tops trading cards they came up with uh trading cards that were attached to the back of every pack of cigarettes so you could be the lucky kid that uh that got the whole team of a, a baseball team most famously the uh the honus wagner card uh, was uh, one that uh, Sweet Caporal included on backs of their packages. Uh, Honus Wagner, uh, a very famous non-smoker, insisted that they remove his uh, his picture from uh, from the baseball cards, and uh, due to their, you know, he, he, they they had to uh, take it take them off the uh, take them off the back of the the uh, cigarette packs and destroy them. So the remaining few Honus Wagners that are still in existence uh, command very high prices at auctions nowadays. Yeah, makes sense. So, uh, um, intri- intriguing that they, you know, I, I, I mean, I always associate baseball cards with bubble gum, but uh, I guess <laughs> their their background was uh, getting younger people to smoke cigarettes. Yeah, it's true. That, that's what they wanted to do. <laughs> it was the, the 1910 Honus Wagner, Wagner card. It's the most famous uh-huh. collectible. It's known that way because it's uh, you know be, because of the story that you just told. Now, d- does it? Yeah, I, does it look to you like it does to me that the the man in this ad looks like Ralph Bellamy? Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yes, definitely. It, it looks. I just wonder, you know, if this is something that the. Uh, the art department at Liberty Films cranked out. It wasn't like this or at the time. It could have been a famous. It could, it could have been a famous common uh, ad. Uh, I don't know if that was a catchphrase. I was looking for that catchphrase from uh, Sweet Capra, but all the references went back to "It's a Wonderful Life." Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this this might be just a little on the nose business by uh, by Frank Capra to say, you know, go to the go to the uh, Bailey Savings and Loan is probably a little too obvious. So That's right. They went with a. Uh, they went with this, and and, and uh, very f- unusual font for the time too. I think yes. that that script font that they had is very unusual. Mm-hmm. That's correct. I was I was thinking that also that it's uh, that it's strange that they use script at the time. Yeah, and if you look on yeah, on, it, on the right hand side below it, you see all of these pipes. They're they're Patterson pipes. Hmm. Oh, okay. Which is yeah, which is from a company uh, that that uh, originated in uh, Dublin. In 1865, hmm. uh, and uh, it was known as Ka- they were known as Cap Brothers uh, pipes, and a man named uh, Charles Peterson uh, showed up there. Actually, that's really interesting. It should be Peterson, not Patterson. Hmm. hmm. Maybe they couldn't get the uh, rights to it. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, this is the uh, the Pepsi version of the. Maybe maybe they're a knockoff that was trying trying to go for the uh, uh, the discount house. And it's like it's just like a Peterson, but it's a Patterson. Um, I 
I, I was wondering, are they are they all the same type of pipe? It looks like they have different shaped bowls on a couple of them. So maybe I don't it's know. like you know when you go into buy socket wrenches and you have the different sizes. Yeah, yeah. Just, give me the ten millimeter pipe or what? Um, the uh, but yeah, I was just wondering. I don't know if there's if people have preferences that uh, do you need a deeper pipe? Do you need to hold more tobacco, or do you want something flat that gives you more smoke? Or it's I I would assume there is an entire subculture of pipe smokers who would know you know the Meerschaum versus the uh, um, the corn cob and things like that of yeah. what you know, what kind of uh, output you're you're expecting from your pipe. <laughs> Um, but this looks like this looks like the kind of a thing that you'd see hanging in a in a convenience store to you know buy a plastic comb or something. Right. So it's just a. It, I didn't realize it was a, a commodity item like that. Well, apparently back then it was. Uh, today it is less yeah. of a commodity item. And and then yeah. for some reason George runs out of the store. He, he starts sprinting. You know because you know he, but, yeah. Is it because he, he knows he needs to get the. The poison to the boy, or he needs to catch his father before he's, uh, you know, in a busy meeting that he can't interrupt. Yeah, he just. Who do I trust? I'll, I'll ask Dad. And uh, leaving, did, uh, did Mary ever pay for her ice cream? No, she did not. <laughs> I didn't notice. She did yeah, not. I didn't notice any money changing hands there. Well, would you pay I for an ice cream could, uh, that, that you asked for without coconut, and it was covered in, sh- yeah. in shreds of coconut? No, no tip for that kid. No way. That's right. <laughs> oh, well, she doesn't want to give him a tip. She doesn't want to marry him. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if she'd tell Mr. Gower. You know, he put pot. No, she probably she probably overheard the whole uh, conversation. So it's like uh, I just better just sneak out of here. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, it's just a uh, uh, very peculiar of what you know. I, I guess she's just watching what's happening next. That's right. Um. And you see that and she has the, the, the full thing of ice cream in front of her, with that, and you still see yeah. it overflowing with with coconut on top. Just just whole, you know, all of Tahiti's uh, uh, yearly crop is probably just sitting there. I'll show her. I'll just triple up the uh, That's the right. coconut. Um, but she well, uh, she was polite enough. She, she was polite enough to not not throw it back at him. Yeah, I'm just wondering while uh, while Mr. Gower is staring at his son's picture, if she was going to just go and clean up after it. Uh, she seems the type to do that. Well, she, she well, just... we we do know that she's still there when George comes back and gets uh, get gets uh, right, gets yeah. yeah, yes, yeah, walloped. I think is mm, yeah. walloped um, is a better word. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so I guess she's just gonna, I'll, I'll have to tune in later to a later minute and find out if if she ever polished off that. Uh, Coconut, coconut with uh, a light dusting of uh, chocolate on it. Um, <laughs> My assumption is wow. not. <laughs> well, we, yeah. Well, we get back to the uh, Harry Potter stagecoach. I mean, That's Mr. Right. Potter's uh, <laughs> stagecoach with the uh, rather funereal-looking chauffeur yeah. on the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's just sitting there he waiting. He really is. Not, yeah. I'm just going to pull on the reins and keep the horses steady. That's right. And, um, and he gets there pretty am, quick. You know, uh, yeah. You know, the, the, he runs out of the store, and the next thing he knows, he's right in front of the bailing and loan. And we we know from later in the movie that it, there is a little bit of a distance between uh, Mr. Gower's drugstore and and the uh, uh, and and the, 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 the building and loan. This, so. I I do enjoy the building and loans uh, business directory, which seems to be written on the, uh, the on the stairs, the, the up on the stairs themselves. Um, as like as you can see, there is a uh, 
a collection service. So some, you know, picking up uh, deadbeat payments for not, you know, paying your paying your bill at Mr. Gower's. You're going to see the guy on the on the first floor, I guess. Definitely. And then there's the the uh, Bailey Savings and Loan Association. There is a, an ear, nose, and throat doctor who's probably he should have run in and asked the ear, nose, and throat doctor about is this stuff going to kill your diphtheria patients? Uh, that might have been a, a way around it. Also, a place for a uh, veterinarian and uh, a real estate and jewelry company. I was, I don't know, is that, is it a pawn shop? What, what would you, where would you buy both real estate and jewelry? It probably is a pawn shop. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's, here's the deed to an apartment across town. That's right. Oh, and here's a, yeah, and here's a bracelet. Um but yeah, it's it's very peculiar. I, I just wonder how many how many people are using those stairs every day because it just seems like a very varied. Um, well, don't you, you always a, look at what's written on the stairs when you walk by? I I guess you'd say aha. I mean, it's it's instant advertising. That's so, right. So I'm just I was just wondering about the uh, ear, nose, and throat guy who is next to the veterinarian. So if you're allergic to cats and you're going to see your doctor, you're gonna you're not gonna have a good day. There you go. Hey, um, it works. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there seems to be a there seems to be five tenants there, not including uh, Anderson's store on the first floor. Right. And uh, you probably want to make note of that, uh, listeners, because we're gonna we're gonna be looking at some uh, geography later on in the sh- in the show in the week. Yes. As it goes on. So. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and then George runs up but, the stairs, and the 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 camera actually zooms in on him as he starts climbing up the stairs. Well, yeah, and actually, if you're if you're looking carefully at this as it moves, it it is a what it is is it's a combination of a uh, a tilt of the camera, and then it's an optical zoom. They actually uh, enlarge. Uh, the still a still picture of the Bailey Brothers Building and Loan mm-hmm. Association. It's very it's very subtle, but it's not a camera move. It's not a tilt. I mean, right. the, the, the tilt is there, but it's the the tilt and I I think the tilt and the zoom are both um, uh, in not an in camera effect. I think it's a, an optical printer that did that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It has a it has a strobing effect, which it wouldn't do if it were in a uh, it was an actual camera move. Mm-hmm. Um, and that takes right. my, under- my understanding is, is that there's a lot of times in this movie that that Capra uh, basically enlarges the the picture, you know. But they did yeah. that all post production, <laughs> yeah, which is you, why you some things are a little more grainy. Exactly. Yeah, the grain changes there, and uh, but it you know, it got the job done. He needed he needed the shot that he didn't get when he was out on the set. That's right. So. Uh, off, off George goes, uh, <laughs> yes, into uh, into Tomorrowland, yes. Correct. Um, but a uh, lot of lot of camera stuff, a lot of lot of interesting uh, editing choices and uh, acting in this in this part. The cinematographer really shined in this uh, in this particular minute. Yes, I completely so, agree with you on that. Um, okay, so well, you know that that's the way we end this minute. Is there anything else you wanted to mention about the minute? I'm good. It was great. Was, you know, the only I thing I wanted to everything. point out is as he's running out of the story, you can see that there are two issues of the Saturday Evening Post. Yes. Sitting out there. Yes. Which was a magazine that, that published weekly between 1897 and 1963. And then until 1969, it was then uh, done bi-weekly. 
And nowadays, it's uh, only published six times a year. Wow. And it's filled with uh, fiction, nonfiction, cartoons, features. And they, they had a subscriber list uh, that, that reached more than two, two million homes every week. Wow. Yeah, that was the, the nation's uh, discussion place uh, or, you know, things light reading for uh, for people at home that, you know, they could they could talk about over the fence during the week um, in the days before radio and after radio. That's so, right. Um, the uh, the bottom uh, paint uh, the the bottom illustration on the the bottom copy of the Saturday Evening Post uh, is an illustration done by Norman Rockwell who became almost synonymous with uh, Saturday Evening Post. The um, the uh, I've seen uh, many of the original artworks there. Uh, there's a there's a Rockwell Museum in Massachusetts, and uh, it's built on uh, Norman Rockwell's uh, his farm where he had a he had a studio and um he uh he had like a, a he had a studio his his home was there and uh, built after a rather large fire his his house had been destroyed before it's out in, in western massachusetts in stockbridge uh well worth a trip if you're anywhere in new england uh to see this because it is the most complete collection of uh of norman rockwell illustrations and uh i was frankly surprised at the size of the originals of these, these are almost, I would say, five to one or four to one reductions on this on, on the front of the on the front of the cover. They are massive, um, bigger than uh, maybe as big as movie posters. Oh wow! They, they're very very large illustrations. Um, yeah. His one of his most famous collections was the uh, the Four Freedoms, which he drew during World War II, and I believe. Each one of the four freedoms paintings are either six or seven feet tall. They're displayed in one room, and they are just massive. And I mean, you've, it, you know, it, most people have seen Norman Rockwell illustrations, but when you're looking at the original work that he did, the detail work on this full size is why those those illustrations look so great when they shrink them down to put on the on the cover of a magazine. But they are just it's it's an amazing uh, talent that he had to capture emotions, much like Capra. He had he had kind of a the Capricorn idea. They're, they're idealized portraits of early America of you know or America in the at the turn of the century. Right. Most of his most of his uh, the the paintings that he did were a little bit before when he was drawing them. So if he was in the 1930s, he was drawing the 1910s. And if he was drawing the 40s, it was the 20s. Um, but, you know, it, it, the range that he lived, um, he was painting well into the you know the early 70s. And uh, it's just kind of jarring that you're looking at these pictures where he's drawing uh, a bunch of kids, you know, you know uh, with towels wrapped around them, running away from a no swimming sign that they're escaping, you know, from whoever owned the the pond that they're they're running away from a swimming hole. <laughs> and at the same time, you can see him drawing uh, astronauts John Young and Gus Grissom as they prepared for the first manned Gemini flight in 1965. And it's you know it's it's all part of history, but it's just kind of jarring when you see things from what would be considered contemporary for you know the 60s it's just uh, an unusual he, he continued capturing that that american spirit in his uh in his illustrations through his entire life just a, a fascinating place again rockwell museum stockbridge massachusetts if you ever get a chance it is worth your time all right excellent 
so every Thursday we have a segment called James Stewart Thursday where my guests will give their top five Jimmy Stewart films. So, Jim, why don't you start off with number five and work your way up? Okay, I would uh, start off with a uh, fascinating casting against – well, Jimmy Stewart, he had such a range. He played so many different parts. He was kind of – I think where Tom Hanks is in his career now, Jimmy Stewart had that same wide range of different characters he was playing. Usually, you know, he's playing good guys. He's playing bad guys. He was in comedies, lots of comedies, but lots of drama too. Um, one of my favorite ones, one of my five favorite ones would be uh, – uh, Anatomy of a Murder, which I think was in 1959 or 16 yeah. mm-hmm. there. 59. And, uh, yeah, Otto Preminger directed it. Otto Preminger is known for um, pushing the envelope as to uh, uh, what he was what he's going to put on the screen. Uh, has very strong language. Uh, uh, Lee Remick is the uh, uh, is in this, and it's about a uh, uh, Ben Gazzara is uh, being on trial for murder. And his defense was the man that he killed had raped his wife. And it was the actual use of the term rape, along with a lot of other. Um, I mean, the movie, the uh, movie tr- even, yeah, the, the movie even makes oh. makes light of it because, you know, at one yeah, point, oh, the, at yeah, one they, point they, they use the word panties and everyone in, yeah. in the, the, the gallery, you know, start laughing. And the judge says, look, you know, <laughs> this, yeah, is, this is what this is about. Grow up. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we're going to yeah, use terms here. That people are not used to, and that's it, you know, or that people are not yeah, used to and, staying in public. Yeah, and the, the uh, Motion Picture Association uh, had to change their code to let this out. I mean, this was a, uh, and I think it went into a, it, if I remember correctly, it went into a lawsuit, and it wound up in in front of a court, and the court said, well, these are all scientific terms that will be used in a regular courtroom, so it's not slanderous and it's not obscene, and uh, they they let it go. Uh, it was. Uh, condemned by different uh, religious groups, and uh, there were people trying to boycott the movie. But it's just a, it's a very compelling film. I think it's one of uh, George C. Scott's early like supporting roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. George C. Scott is George C. Scott is fantastic in it. If you if you get to see this film, it, it, it's great. He's the the camera shots that uh, that Preminger uses. There's a defense attorney, which is Stewart, and there's a prosecuting attorney, which is uh, George C. Scott. And as each of them take turns being strong in the in the court case, they move in front of each other and argue. And uh, it's just very very strong diagonal dynamics of this film. Um, it's it's well worth your t- all of these movies. That I'm going to say is well worth your time. But it's just interesting seeing Jimmy Stewart playing in such a dramatic, uh, no holds barred uh, type of film. So I strongly recommend that. Mm-hmm. Next up, and uh, this is a very I mean. This is fourth, but maybe it may be fifth because it's a it's a sequel, and uh, I usually like sequels. Sometimes do good. Se- sequels are hit and miss. I mean, I could say the biggest hit sequel would have been uh, Empire Strikes Back, and uh, then maybe uh, Rambo. But uh, this sequel was after The Thin Man, which uh, I don't want to give too much away from this, but uh, it does play. Let me just say it plays Jimmy Stewart against type. And uh, they brought back all the character, the original characters from the Thin Man. If you, you know, I, it, one of my favorite movie couples on screen is William Powell and Myrna Loy. They have such Nick a, and Nora. Any, yeah, anybody who's been married knows knows what that relationship is like. It's you, 
you have fun with your spouse, you trust your spouse, and but you have these little tug of wars and you have little shorthands for things, and they they do it so well. You could swear William Powell and Myrna Loy were married, but never, that never happened. And um, this is the further adventures of the Thin Man, uh, which people think it's think it's uh william powell it's like it's like it's like doing the frankenstein thing it's, it's got nothing to do with william powell being the thin man he's, he's not it but um again another uh, locked door murder mystery and uh jimmy stewart plays a very innocent looking guy in this thing but uh he may have some secrets up his sleeve and he may be hiding something he may be protecting somebody so i don't want to give it away if you haven't seen it please go see after the thin man it is an enjoyable, as they say in the movie critic circles, romp. So um, let's see. After that, I would say there's a bunch of there's a bunch of Hitchcock movies you can pick from, but my favorite Jimmy Stewart, you know Jimmy Stewart, like the Man Who Knew Too Much or uh, Vertigo and things like that. My favorite Jimmy Stewart being in a Hitchcock movie would be uh, uh, Rear Window. Rear Window, Paramount Pictures, all shot as a, it's almost like a stage play. They took out the inside of a, a Paramount soundstage and turned it into a courtyard of a couple of apartment houses. Uh, Jimmy Stewart is, uh, he's home, he's, got, he's a photographer for a news service, he's got a broken leg, he can't move. And so he believes he's seen a murder and he's seen someone getting away with murder and hiding a body. Uh, it's up to him to talk his uh, girlfriend the, astonishingly. I mean, she's just glowing. Uh, Grace Kelly in this in this film. It's just it's one of her best performances, and you're following along. And they never. I mean, he never gets out of the. Uh, he never gets out of his wheelchair except toward toward the end, but it's just an amazing, uh, single room shot that you're following all these all these different stories going on in the apartments around him. Uh, Jimmy Stewart is great at, I mean, there's, he does perfect Hitchcock. Hitchcock always has the most ghastly uh, script ideas. And um, he was talking, he, there's a, there's a wonderful conversation that he has that Jimmy Stewart has with Grace Kelly, where he's trying to decide if you're going to have a body and you were going to chop it up and hide it in a box. Would you start at the head or would you start at the feet? And <laughs> he goes about it like the way you were talking about packing luggage. It's just so, you know, it's it's so morbid, but it's hilarious and scary all at the same time. It's a perfect blend of, uh, of Hitchcockian type scripts. So uh, I would put that at, at number three. Um, second uh, classic, it's, it, it's the role that I think one of the roles that Jimmy Stewart was born for is uh harvey 1950 harvey it's based on the stage play and, and um his his version of elwood p dowd this guy who sees um he he sees giant rabbits and uh, a giant rabbit his friend named harvey and uh he's a very uh, simple loving man who uh the world doesn't accept that he can see an invisible rabbit and uh his uh, his trauma with his uh, uh, with his sisters and uh, his girlfriend uh, in trying to decide how do we how do we make him not be so crazy? Um, it's uh, it's great. Some of the characters, some some of the same people that uh, Capra had hired in Arsenic and Old Lace uh, return in this film, and they are just hilarious. Well, he does that in and, many of his films. You know, uh, most yeah. most most directors do that. They even do that nowadays. You know, the people that yeah. that, that they're 
uh, you know, that, that they're used to working with and it's fun to work. They have their, uh, what, what, their little what, company almost. That's yeah. right. Their company. It's, it, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a little, uh, entourage of people that, that follow them around from, this. and he really knows their greatest strength. So he puts them in roles that they can do their thing. Um, and it's, uh, you know, this movie, my, uh, my mom saw Harvey on Broadway, the play Harvey, and she talked about how when you're watching this and Elwood P. Dowd is telling you about what Harvey's like, uh, there's a scene in the play where um, Elwood looks across the stage and yells, Harvey, and a light turns on on the right-hand side of the screen, uh, on the right side of the stage, and a door opens and slams and she said i think half the people in the theater thought they saw a rabbit because it was it it was so believable the way he was presenting this invisible (laughs) rabbit so um yeah if it's um i think harvey's one of my favorite pukas the uh the irish go uh uh he's he's a a a trickster yeah i'd say harvey would be my second favorite uh jimmy stewart film one of my favorite, um, it, I think my favorite Jimmy Stewart movie. It's not a, it's not the lead role. Um, I, I know, I know where you're going. Let me see you if I'm do? right. Okay, uh, I don't know. Okay. I, I know you talk uh, about your one of your favorite roles. Uh, you know, a lot during Apollo 13. Is is that where you're going here or not? Uh, no. This is oh. going to surprise you then. Okay. Um, yeah, I thought you were going with Strategic roles. Air Command. That's where I thought you were going. Oh, okay, yeah, no, no, we're going, we're going way late. We're going, we're going into the seventies, and I'm not talking about Airport seventy seven. That's just, that was, <laughs> he was, he was checking a box so he could, you know, qualify for the SAG hospitalization plan. But um, I, my favorite role for Jimmy Stewart, and it's it's just a small role, but it's key, and he has such interactions with so many other classic stars from the 30s 40s and 50s uh he plays a doctor in 1901 and he is friends with an old gunfighter who he would patch up and send out on yet another mission and this was 1976 dino de laurentis of all people dino de laurentis's movie the shootest shootest yeah uh, I, okay john, i knew that that's, shootest, that's yeah what, i knew this what you yeah john, john john wayne john wayne's let John Wayne's last film, Ron Howard's in it. Imagine a Ron Howard, John Wayne film. And uh, Richard Boone's in it. Uh, and Jimmy Stewart. And Jimmy Stewart has to lay it out, And uh, as well as um, Lauren Bacall is in this movie. And Jimmy Stewart has to lay it out for John Wayne. that he's It's 1901, and he has inoperable cancer, and it's going to be a very painful death. And you can you can feel every every emotion as he's telling John Wayne that he would not want to go out the way he's going to go out. Um, but you get the feeling that he's also saying goodbye to the Duke himself. Um, and you know Jimmy Stewart was uh, Destry Rides Again and all these other ones. But he what he wandered all those Western sets all. He was as much a part of the Westerns as John Wayne was. I think he may have been in the same number of Westerns. Um, But you really feel he's saying goodbye to an entire genre in that film. And it's so compelling. And you you can – I mean, a lot of times Jimmy Stewart plays Jimmy Stewart in a movie. But he's not playing Jimmy Stewart in this. He's playing an old doctor friend of of John Wayne. And 
I I really was very moved by it. It's one of my favorite westerns. It's up there with Silverado. It's up there with Stagecoach. It's up there with The Searchers. Um, it has such heart in it, and uh, such there's a very big economy of script. He doesn't. He says a couple of words. It's all in the facial expressions, the eyebrows, the uh, a wave of a hand. Um, and it is like I know I say this a lot, but it is worth your time to see the shooters and just realize you're seeing some super veteran. This is like the all-star game of uh, of Western. Seeing seeing them there, saying goodbye to their careers actually, because most of them didn't. You know, Richard. Uh, um, I'm sorry. Uh, John Carradine is in it too. There's so many people that just come out of the woodwork, and you're like, holy smoke! You know, Harry uh, Harry Morgan's in it. And, um, Harry Morgan's in everything. Yeah, and it's it's just they keep they keep coming out. And you're like, look who that is. Um, but it's it's such a beautiful film, and it really is a great way of saying goodbye to an entire generation of uh, of shootists, of westerners. Um, so that that would be my top Jimmy Jimmy Stewart's like the uh, the cherry on top. He does a great job in it. So that's my five. Okay, all right. Thank you very much for that. So Jim, you want to tell people where they can get in touch with you? Uh, easy to find me, uh, hard to spell. It's jimokane.com, J-I-M-O-K-A-N-E.com. You can follow, and there's happy trails in there all the way to all my podcasts, all my different video things, uh, tvdads.com, uh, a lot of stuff about space. And uh, anything that anything that I find in my uh, desk drawers, I, I, I eventually winds up on that website. So uh, check it out, jim, jimokane.com, for all your Jim O'Kane needs. All right, great. And while you're doing that, you can go review and subscribe to any podcast you might be using to listen to the show. Finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. And you can find me on my website, MovieRobMinute.com. So until tomorrow, hot dog. Hot dog. I love you truly, truly dear. Life with its sorrow, life with its tears.